that right, I think. Today's reading comes from John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone and, and um, I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, 
What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Bev. Let's pray. Our merciful God, what a privilege it is to come and to, as it were, be a witness to what happened between Jesus and his disciples on that fateful night. Our loving God, please help us to understand and help us to take to heart what this means for us and help me to be clear in explaining it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the chapter we've just heard read is hard-hitting but wonderful because it tells us that we are loved. In everything that happens, God is reminding you of the message of Easter that Jesus Christ loves you. Some of us understand this, but many of us, truth be told, struggle to believe it because we ask ourselves, how could Jesus truly love me? We think he knows everything about me and he knows that there's much that isn't lovable. So we say there's no way that he could truly love me. And yet he does. You know, there are moments in our lives where it dawns on us that we are loved. Maybe you can think of such a moment in your life. I remember as a child uh, seeing my dad running to rescue me after I'd literally become stuck in the mud, in the, the mud flats on the tidal river in Sydney where we lived. And at that moment I knew that dad loved me uh, because dad loved his running, right? But for nine months he had been recovering after surgery from an, a snapped Achilles tendon. And he'd been nursing this and he hadn't run at all. So when news got back that I was stuck, and that I needed help, and I saw my dad running. Ooh. 
you know, I burst into tears because I realized I was worth more to him than the risk of him snapping his Achilles tendon again. I hope each of us can recall a moment when we realized that we were loved. Usually, you know, when we um, want to know that we're loved by God, we look to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But in verse one of John 13, we're told, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end, or in the older NIV, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. So according to John, everything that happened that night was to show his disciples how much he loved them. And he does it in three highly significant, highly memorable moments. Washing their feet, passing the bread, dropping the bombshells. Now each moment was hard for the disciples, but in each moment, Jesus was showing his disciples that he loved them. Firstly, in Jesus washing their feet. Now, this would have been mortifying for them. Jesus had arranged the location of this meal, but the disciples had had to make the preparations, and that would have included arranging a servant to wash their feet on arrival. This was standard No one back then began a special meal with their guests still arriving, feeling dirty and unclean, with their feet covered in dirt or mud or worse. I mean, can you imagine sitting down feeling like that? The problem is none of the disciples had done this, had arranged it. And you can imagine them eyeing one another, didn't you do No one, what about you? But then the vibe, the awkward vibe became worse because Without the servant, none of them then stepped up to do what needed to be doing. None of them took out the wash basin and lowered themselves and and did the job of the servant. Because, I mean, what would that say about the disciple who chose to do that if they did it, except that they were, they thought, the lowest of the group? So what began as an omission became even more snifling, like a kind of smelly nappy. You know, Obvious, whiffy, ever present. (laughs) So imagine their mortification now when they then see Jesus, their Lord, get up, take off his outer garment, wrap a towel around his waist, and then move from each disciple to each, washing their feet. This is now beyond embarrassing. This is mortifying. And now he's drying their feet with the towel that he's wearing. I mean, why would he do it? The lowliest of jobs. Do you just want to you know, give them an example that they can learn by? Well, yes, it was that, but that wasn't the primary reason. Look at verse four, first word. Can you see it? So, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave, his, leave this world and go to the Father. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So, he showed them the full extent of his love. He got up from the meal and washed his disciples' feet. 
That is, he knew this was their last meal together. And so he did this. Yes, they could learn from it. Primarily, however, he did it because he loved them. That's it. It was an act of love. It was a sign to them that he loved them. But for the disciples, it was so humiliating. When Jesus came to Peter, it was too much. No, you shall never wash wash my feet, which Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, clearly there is more to this than just washing dirt off feet. What, What does he mean? Have a think. Jesus has taken off his outer clothing. When is the next moment in John's gospel that Jesus is without his outer clothing? Jesus here takes the position of the lowliest of servants, showing his love for his disciples. When is the next moment in John's gospel where Jesus assumes the lowest position of the lowest of servants in a demonstration of love for his followers? You know it, don't you? It's the cross. When Jesus is stripped and when he serves us by taking on our dirt and he sheds his blood to wash us clean. In other words, in Jesus' mind that night, his washing of his disciples' feet was a kind of prophetic sign that pointed forward to what he would do in a few hours. The washing of sin that he would do for all of his disciples at the cross. And that is why he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Application, we have to let him wash us. He's saying we need it. And if we don't let him wash us, we won't be clean and we will have no part with him. Okay, but the act on the night goes further even than this. Jesus asked, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, of course, this doesn't mean to say that any of us could wash away anyone else's sins. We can't do that, and we don't need to do that. When Peter says, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well, Jesus says, no, no, no. This is all the washing you need to have done to be clean. You know, this is it. But nevertheless, we are still meant to learn from his action. Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That is, show your love for one another by lowering yourself and becoming a servant. Now we need to hear this, don't we? We really do. Have you ever refused to do something because you thought it was beneath you? I have. I'm ashamed to say that you know there have been moments I can think of as a pastor where I have thought I'm a pastor, other people can do the lowly stuff. Now that is massively insulting to, of course, the people that do do the lowly stuff, isn't it? And it is completely worldly. And it is completely unchristian. 
Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If I, your Lord and teacher, have lowered myself beneath you to serve you, and I'm the master, then guess what? You, my servants, you should do the same. That's the deal. An example. So I've just come this morning from Impact Camp to be here. It's going well. But two nights ago, I woke. I was sleeping in the courtyard. I'm on guard patrol. I'm in a swag. I, um, I woke at 2.30 a.m. to hear Simon Bell talking to someone in the courtyard for quite a while. And Simon's got a very deep voice which just permeates, right? And I thought, why is he talking? Doesn't he realize he's waking people up? The truth was that one of the campers had thrown up in his sleep in his sleeping bag. And he had staggered out and he had knocked on the door of the leader's dorm and Simon was closest to the door, so Simon got up to deal with it. So he got, at 2.30 in the morning, he, he wiped the sleep out of his, his eyes, he, he, he got the boy cleaned up, he hauled the boy's vomit-covered mattress out, he hauled his own mattress out, he turned the boy's mattress over, he put them side by side in the courtyard. He gave the boy his own sleeping bag and he slept out in the open next to the boy, Simon without a sleeping bag with just his jacket over him until the light of the day could enable him to clean it up properly. He dealt with what needed dealing with. He took a hit for the team by doing the grubbiest job that no one else wanted to do, just so as not to inconvenience anyone else. That's a lowly task, isn't it? Vomit. <laughs> someone else's vomit, someone else's kid's vomit, right? <laughs> Most of us will hear about the need to become a servant and will want to draw boundaries or set limits. But just get this, Jesus washed all of his disciples' feet including those of Judas, who was about to betray him. He washed the feet of his enemy. Now why? Well, the answer is simple, and that is because he loved him, even his enemy. You know, in this we see the gospel, don't we? Because the good news of the gospel is that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait till we were deserving. He loved us when we were like Judas. Why did he do it? Just because he loved us. And if he, our Lord, did this, then we, his servants, we need to do likewise. Now, this prompts some very searching questions we need to ask about ourselves. Who is the person that we would find most difficult to serve? Who do we think is beneath us to serve? That we would lower ourselves to serve them. Jesus said, I have set you an example. Do as I have done for you. So you see what your life's ambition and goal is, don't you? It is to spend your life being a servant like Christ. 
Not for recognition, not for smug self-congratulation, but simply because you love people. So Jesus' first demonstration of love was to wash his disciples' feet. That's the longest one, right? His second was to pass the bread. Now, we, we already know that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. Jesus shares now that knowledge with his disciples. Now, why did he tell them? Verse 19. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. This is part of Jesus loving them. He lets them in on the plan the prophets foretold, Psalm 41, he who shared my bread has turned his hand against me. But I want you to notice how Jesus outs Judas. Here's what he doesn't do. This is surprising. He doesn't name him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't call him a traitor. Instead, what Jesus does is he dips bread in the dish and olive oil. And instead of then hoiking it at Jesus into his face, instead of hitting it with him, uh, hitting him, him with it, or instead of slapping him in the face with it, he passes it to him. He shares his bread with Judas, exactly like you would do for a friend whom you loved and you welcomed. There is so much in that action because here is Jesus once again loving his enemy. Back in 2014, Narelle and I went to Italy with the family and we were privileged enough to be able to see Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper painting. It's painted on, the, on a wall at the end of a very long dining room for monks, okay? So it's up over a doorway at the end. Da Vinci painted that painting from this moment in John's Gospel when Jesus had just passed the bread to Judas. Now when I saw the painting, I was there with Giovanni who was, uh, who'd opened his home to us, uh, someone we knew, we knew his son. We were staying with him. It wasn't a Christian man, but because I, I'd preached on John 13 not long before this and I knew the moment and I knew John's themes and I was able to stand in front of this painting and kind of exegete it and share the gospel with Giovanni. If you zoom in, okay, you can see Judas on the front left there and Peter's behind him with the gray hair and you, you may not be able to see but on the left, Peter is holding a dagger, a big meat knife or bread knife, kind of in anticipation of Jesus jumping to Peter jumping to Jesus' defense in Gethsemane and slicing the ear off Malchus, the servant of the high priest, right? And then there's John, not Mary, as Dan Brown would have us believe. John is leaning in to Peter. On the other side of Jesus, there's James in the green with it. He's the future leader of the Jerusalem church. He's reacting with his strength, this shock and indignation, the signs of a future leader. And Thomas and Philip are there with him. It's a marvelous painting. I want you to look again at Judas, right, front left. Da Vinci painted him physically the lowest down on the painting of all the disciples. And he painted him in shadow. Judas is the darkest of the disciples. Okay, so that's a, imagine that's a freeze frame of a movie and now we press play. 
and we see the characters move. Now we are hearing Jesus' words to Judas. What you are about to do, do quickly. And we'll see Judas take the bread and go out, and it is night, the time of evil, where darkness reigns. Jesus told told them all of this ahead of time because he loved them. He told them this so that later on, after he had risen from the dead, when they thought back on that night, they'd remember and they'd believe that he is who he is. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And know that he told them because he, the Lord, loved them. Now, after that bombshell, we can only imagine the trauma and shock the disciples were in. But now comes the third moment of love, dropping the bombshells. Now that doesn't sound particularly loving, but in the whole way Jesus speaks to his disciples, using the tender language of little children and speaking again of his love for them, Jesus' love pulses through these three bombshells that he now drops on them at their meal. The first is that he is going away. Now he has to tell them this, so that they'll know that what's about to happen to him and to them is part of the plan of God. Jesus speaks of it in terms of his glory. Not because he'll look glorious at the cross, but because at the cross he will achieve a cleansing of sin for everyone who comes to him. But now that Judas has left, now the wheels are in motion, Jesus is certainly going to leave them and it's in that context that he gives them a new command to love one another. Now, you may have thought about this before and thought, how is this new? Because doesn't the Old Testament law, hasn't that already said, love your neighbor as yourself? It has, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So, how is this new, a new command? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's what's new. In other words, this isn't loving your neighbor like they love you, tit for tat. That's what most of us do. Nor is it even doing what the law said and loving your neighbor as you would wish to be loved by them. It's not that because who of us honestly would expect our neighbor to lay down our life, their life for us? We wouldn't. What's new is the sacrifice and love that Jesus himself shows in how to love. And he's just shown us in the washing of their feet. What did he do? He laid aside his status, his rights. He assumed the lowest of positions. He did the grubby job that no one else wanted to do. The job everyone else wouldn't do because they thought it was beneath them. That's what he did. And that is a prelude to the cross. What's new? The newness is the sacrifice and the love that he calls us to show in our love for one another. The Alpha Course gives a very powerful illustration of this sort of love. Maximilian Kobe was a prisoner in Auschwitz during the Second World War. In 1941, another prisoner escaped from that camp. And so for punishment on the prisoners who were there, each day 
that the escapee remained at large, 10 inmates were randomly chosen and taken to be executed by starvation. One day, the group of 10 included a 40-year-old Polish soldier, Francis Gajonizek, uh, that's it. Uh, on being chosen, Gajonizek began to beg for his life, crying, my, my wife, my children, I, I will never see them again. And at that moment, Maximilian Kolbe, who was a Polish priest, stepped forward and he offered to take his place. He explained, I have no wife or children, and he asked to die instead of Gajinozek. Witnesses said that the commandant was so stunned he was unable to speak. And so eventually, Gajinozek was returned to his place and Kolbe replaced him. Kolbe and the nine other men were locked in an underground bunker and left to starve to death. They survived longer than others, two weeks actually, um, because Colby was comforting his fellow victims and leading them in prayer and indeed singing until they were eventually killed via lethal injection. The man that he had saved survived. He only died in 1996. But he spent the rest of his life telling the story of the man who died in his place. Now, what inspires a man to love like that? Well, it's Jesus Christ, who in love gave his life for Maximilian Colby. Colby was only following Jesus' example, and he was only doing what Jesus commanded here. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What was new? What was new was the level of sacrifice in service. This is going further than has ever been taught before, loving others as he has loved us. So the first bombshell was that he was going, then he drops another, and we speed up. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Peter protests, why, Lord, can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus says, really, will you? And then he drops a third bombshell. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, whew, what a heavy meal, right? But we are told that Jesus, everything that happened that night, he's done out of love. In other words, not to guilt Peter, but he said this so that later Peter would know that even though Jesus knew what Peter was about to do, nevertheless, Jesus still loved him to the end. And in fact, he did, because he went to the cross to bear Peter's sin, which he was about to do, which Peter was about to commit, and he shed, Jesus would shed his blood to wash Peter clean of that future sin for Peter. Now, what of us? We have heard that Jesus loves us. And he has shown you his love by going to the cross. And he is risen and he is alive, which means he still loves you. He still loves you. But do you believe it? You know, it can be really hard to accept. Or maybe you do accept it in theory, but not deep down, not in your heart of hearts. In your heart of hearts, you still are insecure. In your heart of hearts, you still doubt. What do we need to deeply accept 
that we are loved. Well, what we need is humility. Very quickly, let's go through the moments. Jesus' washing of their feet. It takes humility to let someone else wash you. You've just got to ask anyone in a nursing home who's had to let a helper shower themselves because, because they can't do it anymore. It'd be hard to let someone wash you. It would have taken humility to let Jesus wash your feet. And I mean, we understand Peter's objection. You shall never wash my feet. I'm okay washing yours, but don't wash me. But Jesus says it's not optional if we want to be with him. In Revelation 7, John looks into heaven and he sees a vast multitude so big that no one can count. These are they who are in heaven who's made it. These are they who've come out of the great tribulation. Um, And he says, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In other words, the single identifying feature of those who will be in heaven gathered around the throne, who will be present in that vast multitude at the end of time, is that they are the ones who have been washed in Jesus' blood. So it's not optional. We need to be washed to be there. But of course, To have that happen requires humility because we have to let him wash us. We have to have the humility to say, I'm dirty and I can't wash myself. But you can. And then we have to have the humility to come to him and to say, please wash me. So have you let him? And then once you have done that, of course, then it requires ongoing humility to accept and to keep coming back to the truth that the cross is enough. Because what if you've been washed but then sin later on? Okay, we can feel like, well, if that's the case, we need to add to something, the washing that Jesus has already done. We need to wash ourselves. We want to say with Peter, We feel like we need more, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If I've I've washed you, that's all you need. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. If I've washed you by the cross, you don't need anything else. Remember what he said when he died? He said, it's finished. It's done. Finally, it takes humility to sacrificially serve out of love. You know, there are many people, of course, around the world who sacrificially serve others, and they don't need to believe in Jesus to do it. Why do they do it? Well, some do it out of compassion, some do it out of a desire to do good, but often also mixed in, there's a selfish motive to have others, maybe God, or just others, think better about them. You know, it takes humility to not worry about our standing or reputation and simply serve out of love. How do you do that? Well, you can only do it by deeply believing what Jesus had been showing his disciples all that night. That he loved them. (coughs) Deeply believing that he loves you, and therefore it doesn't matter, status, it doesn't matter. What other people think doesn't matter. 
because he loves me. You know, grasping that frees you from worrying about how we're thought of. It frees us to lower ourselves. It frees us to be okay about serving sacrificially without any thought about kudos or a future pat on the back. Who cares about that? It frees us actually to serve out of love because what he showed us when he washed us is that he loves us when we're dirty and he washed us to make us clean. Amen. Amen. I will lead us in a time of prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we stand in awe at your love. You held nothing back, divested yourself of your godly power and majesty to wash the feet of your disciples, to share your table with one who would betray you. We praise you, Lord. And you have commanded us to love one another in the same way. Lord, please give us eyes to see how to do so and the courage to hold nothing back in our love. Forgive us, your church, when the world has seen nothing of our love, but only our self-righteousness, our judgment, or our hypocrisy. Help us to love as you did. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you have given us to show love to others at the Mainly Music Ministry. Thank you that in your kindness, you are bringing caregivers and their little ones to Mainly Music, and that we can provide a safe and fun space where relationships can flourish. Father, please help these relationships to grow beyond the Thursday mornings and in due course lead people to, into your loving arms. And please let the Easter story touch their hearts. Lord, thank you for all those who generously give their time to serve and care, especially Catherine who leads us and our lovely morning tea team. Please sustain them. Father, we also continue to uphold Amber and the Closey family in prayer to you. Thank you for the many answers to prayer over the last week, and thank you for the successful insertion of the probes. Please, sovereign God, from whom nothing is hidden, guide Amber's teams, a team of doctors that they will gather useful information in this week and will find a way forward for sustainable and safe treatment for Amber. But above all, we pray that you will draw near to Amber and the Closies, that they might know your peace and joy that transcends all human understanding. Thank you that you will never leave them, and we pray that they will know that beyond any doubt, so that they can say together with the psalmist that the Lord is their shepherd and they know no want. We also pray for Liv and Anton. Thank you that they are anticipating the, baby birth, the birth of their baby this Tuesday. Please keep Liv and the baby safe. Guide the hands of the surgeon and grant Liv swift recovery. Above all, give them rest so that Liv and Anton and Adam can rejoice and enjoy the new member of their family. Thank you, Lord, for the current impact camp, that young people get to learn more about you. As they are confronted from the book of Ecclesiastes about the meaninglessness of many of the things that they think might matter, success, prestige, and wealth, let them instead know that life under the sun finds its meaning and its joy in you. 
Give Cam Maxwell the words that will be heard in your spirit. And please keep everyone safe. Lord, power and wealth is meaningless. But as we look at our current geopolitical situation, we see the powers that be blustering and strutting, seeking to intimidate, to gain the upper hand. Accusations and provocations are being flung from one end of the globe to the other. Lord, please constrain this madness. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? You laugh at them, Lord. As we, your people, look on, we don't know where this is heading, but help us to not be afraid. Rather, let us get on with loving those you have given us to love, and as we hear news, let us be slow to ascribe evil to others without seeing the evil in our own countries and allies. Let us grieve with those who suffer, no matter where they are, and grant us wisdom to not add to suffering. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're coming to the end of our time together. Please don't rush off. Um, feel free to stay for morning tea. And those of us who are regulars, please make sure our visitors are well cared for. If you'd like someone to pray for you after the service, we're going to have someone, uh, some prayers available to you near the, the stage here. So we're going back into the world now.